Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. The Killer Women Vodcast is pleased to be a part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. To learn more about Danielle and her books, visit her at www.daniellegirard.com and to access all of our vodcasts, go to youtube.com forward slash authors on the air. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with over 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Gerard, and my guest today is Jillian Medoff. Jillian's fifth novel, When We Were Bright and Beautiful, is a story about privilege, power, consent, and dirty, sexy money. It garnered many accolades. It was a Book of the Month Club selection, an Apple Books Best of the Month, an Audible Editor's Pick, a People Pick of the Week, a Town and Country Magazine, an O Daily Favorite, and a Publisher's Marketplace Buzz Book, among others. She is the <laughs> author, <laughs> very, very well received book, and, and for good reason. Uh, Jillian is the author of four other novels, including the national bestseller, I Couldn't Love You More, the acclaimed workplace novel, This Could Hurt, and Hunger Point, which was made into an original Lifetime movie starring Christina Hendricks and Barbara Hershey and directed by Joan Micklin-Silver in 2003. A former fellow at McDowell Blue Mountain Center and VCCA, Jillian has an MFA from NYU. She studied with Mona Simpson, her thesis advisor, and Jonathan D, and took master classes with Toni Morrison, Grace Paley, and Joyce Carol Oates. In addition to writing novels, Jillian has a long career in corporate consulting. Since her early days at Max Factor and American Home Goods, she's worked for a wide range of employers, including Deloitte and Aon. Now with Siegel Benz, she advises clients on communication strategies for all aspects of the true of the employee experience. Jillian lives with her husband, Keith Dawson, and three adult daughters who come and go. She reviews novels for the New York Times Book Review and is currently working on a new book called The Committee, a story about medical ethics and race in Seattle circa 1961. Wow. Jillian, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm very, very flattered you asked. Oh, I read this (laughs) and I literally was like just... I actually, the way Jillian and I came together is that I posted this beautiful book on Instagram and was like, I want Jillian Medoff on Killer Women and she <laughs> bought it, which is such a treat for me too, because this book, wow. So first tell our listeners um, a little bit about When We Were Bright and Beautiful. Well, When We Were Bright and Beautiful is the story of a family that unravels in the wake of the youngest son his accusation for uh, rape. But the story is told by his sister, Cassie, who is 23 and who is in graduate school and who races home when she hears the news. And she's telling you the story of an ostensible crime. But when you come to the end of the book, you realize she's actually telling you about two crimes and she is the victim of one of them. So it's got a lot of twists. It does. It's very twisty. <laughs> and okay, so um, can you talk about the seed for this story? Oh, sure. Um, my last, my book before this one, my fourth book was a workplace novel and it was really um, overly engineered. The structure was very complicated. 
And I said, oh, you know what? I'm just going to, I really want to write a, um, like a, a story, like a dark kind of noir story. But as I started getting into it, and it was originally set in um, the Valmont. So the Valmont, which is a luxury hotel, is a, um, it was the first character. And it, 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 in my mind, it started out to be like an upstairs, downstairs set in the 21st century. Or, you know, so it was kind of looking at um, the upstairs families like Downton Abbey and then the staff that service them. And so it was going to be a, um, it was going to, my, the, the original crime, and there was never any crime in any of my books ever. But I thought, you know, if we, the original crime was parenting. Because I thought if it kicked off with a kidnapping and then everybody sort of commented on it, I could talk about how judgmental we are, you know, about parents and, and then align certain characters with other characters. So the original seed for this book, and this is how I start, which is really with an image or a, like a line of dialogue. It was a six-year-old girl is being ferried to school in a town car by herself. She, re she, waves, um, she it waves out the back window and the doorman is watching her and he waves too. She never shows up at school. And so he realizes that she wasn't waving goodbye. She was calling for help. And so her mother was, gonna go, was on trial for negligence, but you know, there just wasn't enough to sustain me for like, it takes me between five and seven years to write a novel. And there wasn't, it just wasn't interesting enough. And it was completely implausible, the, uh, you know, just the trial that I wanted to have. So um, I, Cassie grew up, she's now 23. Her mother is still the heiress, but mm -hmm. I really winnowed down all the characters and focused on this one um, family and as I got very deep into the family dynamics, I started understanding them on a, on a real, like a cellular level. And um, that was the story I decided to tell. I but love it. Like, oh, I'm sorry. That was the same little girl. So I, in your mind, Cassie was the little girl who was getting kidnapped and now she's uh, a young woman. Is that sort of exactly. the course of figuring out the book? Well, that, so, one of the things I love so much about this book is from the very first pages, the way that Cassie reflects kind of unapologetically on her wealth and the power that it gives them. I mean, she's, you know, she's, uh, she's sensitive to it because she also has a relationship, for instance, with the doorman um, at the building. And, but it, it's so, it's so encapsulates that world. And you do, and you're, you do such a wonderful job, I think, of, of really depicting what it is like for people who have that much money, right? Thank you. And, and Cassie has her own sort of money from a different source too, which is, is right. a part of the, the plot that's super interesting. Right. So the way that I work really is, I knew somehow that there was something wrong with Cassie, even when she was six and an original character. And so the, 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 this, the way that I approach the book was as sort of investigation, like really what's going on with her and why do I, am I, am I obsessed with her? Why am I interested in this? What is happening within these, the four walls that these family live in that is going to 
be interesting to sustain me for, for five years, but also um, I can explore areas and issues that I am just completely obsessed by. So one is, is wealth. And um, I find it sort of paradoxical that, you know, as a, an American and on the internet, I am just fascinated by images of yachts and, and, and you know, I mean, the succession, um, yeah. Gossip Girl, all those kinds of um, closed communities. And, and as a writer, I have always been interested in, in closed communities where they have their own language and they have their, you know, like football teams or fraternities yeah. or sororities, yeah. prisons. I just find, I, I just find all of the details so fascinating. So I was really interested in, in the lives of the wealthy. And I think it's what's paradoxical is at the same time that Americans or people, you know, all over the world are sort of fascinated by wealth. There's also a, 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 like a distaste for it, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I didn't expect, um, I'm, and I really don't believe that I'm an apologist for the, for the wealthy. Like I don't, I wasn't trying to make people sympathetic to them, but I did want to posit the idea that um, we are, you know, we contain multitudes, even the wealthy. And if you live in that world, it, it for some, especially children, um, yeah. it can be a trap. It's a cage. Yeah. You know, she's like, I am, I am following a certain path that has been chosen for me. Right. And I just, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful life, but it's also, it's suffocating. And she talks about her brother, her elder brother, who is um, aimless and doesn't really, he, 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 you know, flunks out of school, he can't hold down a job. And, you know, you would think of him as sort of a privileged playboy. But, but what she says is that, you know, he doesn't need a job because he needs the money, but he needs a job because he needs a life. Like he needs right. a purpose. Right, right. And what I find so fascinating is how people are so quick to find them unlikable. And I'm really mm -hmm. trying to understand um, what's unlikable about them. The fact that they have money and aren't apologetic about it, that they don't give enough to, like, what is it that, mm -hmm. is it, you know? And so that is kind of what I was exploring mm -hmm. as I was, write, was writing the book. Well, and it's interesting because I think, I. I, I two thoughts one is that i think that the the distaste we feel for them is this idea of it's it, it's born of envy we we're envious of course because it seems it looks on the outside so easy if you right. can just buy anything you want life should be easy and so they have nothing they're, they're not allowed to have anything to complain about they they should for sure be way more generous than they are but you know we you know we know also the stories of how complicated that can be if you're the wealthy one everybody's calling you all the time for you know, help me with this project or do this for me. And it's, it, it, I, the idea of it being a trap resonates with me. I think that is such a valid and true statement. The other thing that's interesting about it, and Cassie is a perfect example of this, is that when your family, if you, that's your family, when they call you, Cassie has to drop everything. She doesn't, even being in graduate school, whatever, she's, you know, 50, 75 miles away, she doesn't really have autonomy. No. You know, they call her and she is expected to return to support this 
you know, the family in crisis. And I think right. that's another thing that I think is very true of wealthy families is that the money means you have, every, somebody has their thumb on you all the time, right? Oh yeah, and then how far does that loyalty go? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like what are your responsibilities to the family? What do you owe? And, and I think that is true of any family in, in yeah. the world. I mean, there's implicit messages and, yep. you know, in wealthy families, if they have a family business, are you expected to go into it? Are you right? So there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of strands that I wanted to yeah. untangle, but I also wanted to exploit, you know, like I, right. I knew going in on some level that it is provocative to say, oh, Cassie, you have to come from something awful happened to Billy. And yeah. he's, you know, the one who is being charged with a crime. Right. But one of the things that happened, and this is kind of goes, it's just sort of the my, like I'm kind of a, a dope. But as I was writing the book over the years, and it took me a long time um, because I have a regular job. Yeah. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I changed the crime from kidnapping to sexual assault in, I guess it was like 2015. And then in 2017, you know, the the world explodes with me too. Right. And I'm like, oh God, you know, I'm going to have to change the crime again because I knew I wasn't going to finish the book for another couple of years. And Mm -hmm. then you have to sell it and all that. And so I'm like, you know, I didn't want this book to sort of get by, by, I figured by the time it's 2022, 23, there's going to be a shitload of, of, of Me Too books. We're going to have looked at the issues from lots of different angles. So what can I bring to the conversation? Like, what can I, how can I elevate this issue? And I think one of the things that we haven't seen a lot is the, um, the debilitating consequences on, on um, survivors and, and victims. You know, mm-hmm. like in many ways, our reading community expects a little bit more of a formulaic mm-hmm. re- response to um, sexual violence, where you have a an, a sympathetic and easily likable, ma- you know, main character or you know survivor, a redemptive arc, mm-hmm. and um, that wasn't really the story that I I was interested in, right. and so I went into the book. And this is where I was kind of an idiot, where I knew that there, it was provocative a way to start. But I also knew that this was my fifth book. And um, if you're like, okay, if you stay with me, you'll see that there a hundred pages, there'll be a reveal. And then a hundred pages, there'll be a reveal. And then there will be a final reveal that will ultimately illustrate the entire project. And you'll see. So Mm -hmm. just stay with me. I know what I'm doing. And, but, you know, I was so in my own head, most people, I'm not a brand name. Nobody knows who I am. Well, they do now. Well, this is my first (laughs) book. So they're Uh, like, you know, it's so, it's so comical when you get into your own world. It's like, nobody knows who the hell you are. Like, like, well, I mean, I, I, you've done, I, I think everything you did, I, it's funny that you were thinking so, so much about that Me Too move, movement and, and it makes sense, like you said, because your projects take 
you know, you uh, a long, you know, it's a long time from start to finish. One of the things I think about the, your comment about what we want from a Me Too story and the sort of is that right now we're still digesting all the sort of the yeah. process, all these traumas, and and for uh, for us as you know, for those of us who are who are ob observers, it's much more palatable to have it all tied up at the end and to think, okay, well, she got her, you know, she got he got his his punishment and she's redeemed, and so now everything is over, which of course is not at all realistic. But for us to dig deeper into sort of the, the lasting ramifications of these situations is a lot when yeah. we're early in the stage. There's so much more to excavate. But one of the things I love about this book is that you are taking, you are starting this whole thing from the opposite side of where all the Me Too books are starting, which is to say right. that we are, we are, you know, we are worried about Billy. We are, you know, rooting for him. We are in the, basically the point of view of the rapist sister. And we have empathy for- Ostensible. Ostensible. Uh, yes, ostensible, sorry. Rapist. Apologies, <laughs> of course. Right. Alleged rapist. Alleged, um, right. That's right. So we're in the point of view. So we are looking at this from a side that, that really, I haven't personally read anything that is on this side of the story, which I also think is really interesting because it makes us think a lot, lot more about, you know, we, of course we're all behind the women, you know, we take their side, but it does raise the question, well, you know, what if you weren't, you know, what if you were the sister of this alleged rapist? What if you did know this person well enough to think you know exactly what he is or is not capable of? And that is super interesting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was what was interesting to me too. And, you know, excuse the pun, but it, I, it's like, um, what if the worst thing happened to your family? Like, and right. you were telling the story and, and I, I truly believe, and as I was writing the book, that, you know, Cassie and Billy and Nate, the three siblings, they, um, they loved each other, you mm -hmm. know, and they had a childhood that, yes, it was grand and glorious, but it is, it, it was really about the connection that she felt to both of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true, whether you have money or not, right? Yes. I mean, it's it's about the 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 inner lives of the people you live with and feeling like you know them and you are of them, right? And um, you know sometimes the, those kinds of families that are so close knit they have uh, you know they expect and demand things of you that are more than you can give, but it it's like I think this story despite the wealth. It, it's true of, of, of any family mm -hmm. in some way, you know? Because to yeah. me, the story really is about consciousness. It's about mm -hmm. coming into awareness from everything you knew implicitly, but didn't, like you knew you knew, but you didn't know. Right. And that was not acknowledged in a family right. to when the end of the book or the end of the story, the end of whatever, where you come into consciousness and awareness and things that were never spoken about are suddenly on the table and acknowledged. And I also, I hadn't seen that in done before in a lot of ways, but I also kind of thought that the book was gonna be a small, smaller book because it is so interior, you know? And yeah. um, I didn't expect, you know, I didn't expect the book of the month club pick, but I also didn't expect 
there's a lot of polarized readers, you know, a lot of readers are, I hate this, I hate this family, I, I you know, and I'm kind of right. like, oh, that's so interesting. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, and so I am a career novelist, which means I am always trying to learn something new. And I, I, I mean, I read reviews from the time I was a kid and um, I always wanna understand like, well, maybe I missed this or maybe I, so I read reviews all, all the time, which I know is very contrary to a lot of my other, my writer friends that they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, because it's, it's a craft. I wanna get better, right? I wanna learn what I'm not doing as well as I could be. And in, in that sense, um, it was pretty eye-opening, but I don't know. I think when I was younger, um, I would get bad reviews or people would say things to me that were so disturbing and I would have to lie down. Like yeah. it would take me days to recover. Right, right. But each of my books is very different. And um, with this one, I'm actually more um, confident about the direction the book took and the way that I illustrated these issues that I wanted to explore, yeah. I'm more confident than I have been in any of my other books. But maybe, here's the question, a couple of years from now, will I look back and say, oh, I could have done this differently? Or, you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. I know, but, but we're not, we can't revise our own books. I mean, you've been oh, at this 25 years. What This doesn't do, you know, we, that sounds really scary, but um, but I also think it's interesting because the, I mean, for, I think oftentimes a polarizing book is the most interesting type, right? Because it really, you've obviously raised a lot of hackles. People are like, you know, they are responding very much to the story, to the situation, to the privilege. Um, but to I also issue. think to the issue, but I also think we are, our job as readers, right, is to put our, I think our job and also the gift of a book is to put ourselves in that person's, whether in this case, Cassie, Billy, Nate, in mm -hmm. their shoes for a moment and feel the- Oh, people don't right. like that. No, they <laughs> don't. Like, no. No, no, of course they don't, which is no. why our light, our world is so polarized, but right. it's so, which is also why it's so important that we do it. Um, and I think, you know, and all these, there's, you know, there's really only there's really, this book is really those five people, right? The three kids and the two parents. Right. And at moments in the book, I felt each of those people. And at the end of the book, there was, a, you know, there was some discomfort with having spent some time um, appreciating right. those people. But I think, you know, to the point of your other writer friends, and I'm in that boat too, so much of the reviews are just, I don't find that helpful. No, <laughs> you know? no, no, I, don't, I know. And, that, and the truth is, I'll, and this is a, a very true statement, I don't really write for readers and I never had. Right. And I, you know, it's almost, um, it's been, my course has been to always have a job so that I don't, I can write the kinds of books I want. Mm. And, and having been in the industry for so many years, I have seen lots of trends and not having to capitulate because I needed to sell something. I was yes. always able to take whatever time I needed to write a book and learn how to make it better and learn how to um, exploit my own talents in a way that the book becomes more of a, a, a piece of art or, yes. or, you know, as opposed to just 
you know, a, a throwaway thing I did on the side to make money. Right. And so my career has been very much, you know, it's been like each, as I said, each of my books is different. But one thing I know has happened is that I've reached for more compelling issues or more structural complexity. You know what I mean? Like each book, I try to do something to teach myself because really the the way to learn how to write a book is to write a book. Right. 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 Well, and I, I, let's talk about your career because you have a fabulous um, Instagram (laughs) post. I'm like a, you know, when I try to get to know somebody, I'm always like digging through their posts, which I guess is kind of what we all do. But you have this, uh, an Instagram post because you're talking about the, you know, your five books, which as you said, it's sort of a 25 year career. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are aspiring to, to publish a book or write a book, think about, you know, well, once you hit it, like, you know, if you hit it, you know, if you, if you make it, then you've made it. And it's all sort of, you know, downhill, easy riding from there. <laughs> and, um, and your career, oh my God. I know, but your, and your post is so, the other thing I really appreciate is the honesty, because I feel like we, we you know, I don't, a lot of what we do is smoke and mirrors because, you know, it has to be, and it, you can't really divulge everything in your life. But when people post honestly, and that post is really honest, and it talks about sort of your five books and it, you know, the, and I'll, if I can remember them correctly, the first, you had a big debut, right? A big debut. And then and you had, yeah, talk about flop. a big, <laughs> which I don't, I mean, I, I find it hard to believe. I, this is my first Jillian Medoff book. So I'll have to go back and, and just, and decide if oh. I, um, but it is, it's just, so you, yeah, you had a big debut, then a big flop, and then you had, um, and then I had, uh, I came back. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the, the, yes, the please. succession, right? Yes. So I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but I, it's not even that I knew I wanted to do it. It's just, that's what I did. Like from the time I was five or six, right? We moved a lot, 17 times. By the time I was 17, I was <sighs> raised to be, you know, very nice, always be nice, always think of other people. Um, don't put your feelings first because that's selfish. And I had a, a lot of, um, you know, suppressed anxiety and, and anger and sadness, sadness and, and, and joy too. But it's like when you're always the new kid, you just yeah. kind of go along with the crowd. And so I started writing very young, but I didn't come from a family of artists or writers or, you know, I was like, I'm going to be a middle manager in a corporate job and that would be perfectly fine. Um, but I, you know, people, my people in my family would ask, are you going to go into um, journalism and, or um, advertising, you know, pretty very heavily writer jobs. And right. I'm like, no, I, you know, I want to write stories, but right. you know, it's like so dumb. Um, they were like, that, that's, that's crazy. But I ended up always working and writing simultaneously. And my, I had a job, I came up to New York, I I went to college in New York City. I went home for a few years and then I came back to go to graduate school and NYU had an evening program. Like it it was their MFA program was at night. And so you could go to work during the day and work at night, which is what I thought people did, right? I didn't know anyone who could just be a writer. And- um, Especially in New York. Especially in New York. So I, you know, I, I was in corporate marketing and then communications all through all these years, but I, I, you know, I never imagined being confident enough, which is another thing mm-hmm. to be able to write a whole book. 
but I, in graduate school, I was, um, you know, encouraged. Uh, my graduate advisor was Mona Simpson. I only applied to one graduate school because some guy that I was dating was going overseas to open a real estate office in Paris. He's like, well, I'm going to go alone. I said, well, that's okay. I'm going to grad school. I hadn't even applied. So I scrambled to apply and I really was, I loved Mona Simpson's books. I really did. And then um, she became my thesis advisor. And then I sold that book for lots of money and a big movie deal. And I'm like, wow, this is the life of the writer's not so bad, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. And then um, the book came out and it did okay. Not, you know, it didn't, it never hit any bestseller lists, but then the movie came out and, and then I wrote a second book that my agent couldn't sell. So uh, I wrote yeah. a third book that was um, about seven women in group therapy. And it was about women's anger. And it was a big old flop. And it wasn't mm. so much that people didn't want to talk about women's anger. I think the book, you know, it just wasn't clear that it was black comedy because then it was an, some earnestness in it, whatever. Um, it didn't sell. And then it took me another, I guess, eight years, almost 10 years to sell something new. And um, it was really hard because I had yeah. an agent who wasn't really understanding like what I was trying to do. And I was writing stuff she couldn't sell and she could sell stuff that I didn't want to write. You know, I mean, it was just mm -hmm. complicated. And I wrote another book that was rejected by, you know, 28 publishers. I mean, yeah. it was just heartbreaking. But thank God I had my job, right? Yes, I was right. At least able to sustain a you know a life, and then um, my third book came out uh, in 2012 as a paperback original, and that book was my bestseller, you know, at that point. So, but mm -hmm. it, because it had a lower price point, it did really well, and then my fourth book was like, okay, you know what? I have been shoved into, you know, women's fiction, funny women's fiction, literary funny women's fiction. Like, I'm just going to write a, a book I want to write about work. And so it was um, my best reviewed book, came out in 2018. It was, I mean, I was so proud of it. And um, that sold like five copies, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, it, so far it was big, big debut, big flop big sales, big reviews, and then big deal, which was yeah. this one. But so I can honestly say with all truth and um, authenticity that being a writer is, it, you know, it's a crapshoot and you have to, I don't necessarily love the act of writing. I love having written, but huh. from the time I was six years old, it's been a place for me to organize my thoughts or work out issues or so, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't necessarily write for readers. I don't write what might be um, saleable at the time. I remember when I was working on um, around the time of my first book, there was a big, big push memoirs like exploded. And everyone I knew was writing personal essays or, um, you know, memoirs. And, and then that bar got so high, you know, 
right? It, 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 and, and it was also, I'm just not that interesting a person. You know, like I haven't right. had crazy things happen to me. I'm just like, yeah, I moved a lot and I have a job and I write books, but I'm not that interesting. I'm just right. random. I mean, and, actually, I'm sure you have a memoir in you, but it doesn't interest you. So that, you know, that's right. right. I mean, to spend, even to spend a year on a book, I think you are hundred percent right. You've got to find the thing that you want to spend because those people are with you kind of 24 seven, even if you're not writing, because you're thinking about them. It's like managing. Mm -hmm. I always explain it to my children. It's sort of like, it's like, I have another family and I love right. you. You know, I, you, I love you guys <laughs> the most and I'm, I'm here for you first. But when I get that weird look in my, you know, on my face, it's because I'm thinking about that other family. Um, right. I, you know, it's interesting. So when you have those experiences where you had the big deal, there was no part of you that's like, well, now it makes sense to quit my job. You were like, no, no, because I, you know, I grew up in a family that was financially challenged at every turn. You know, sometimes there might be years where we were flush, but that was always, you know, just to hoard money because there would be something, there'd be a downturn. My dad was in sales and uh, the market right. was very, you know, um, there's just no guarantees. And I said, the only thing that I can do really well is work. I am a workhorse. And um, that it, I, I guess it goes back to my mother saying, you know, you should do for other people because I am in service. Like I am, mm -hmm. I feel best when I've accomplished something. And um, whether that's my job job or my books, it feels really, um, I feel solid. I feel like, okay, you know what? I'm, I, I'm contributing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't know if there is a number that I could get to make me walk away, you mm -hmm. know? From, and and I, 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 I love Siegel Benz. I mean, Siegel Benz is the company I've been working for for 10 years. And we do, you know, very corporate communications campaigns for employee benefits, um, stock plans, medical plans, whatever. And mm -hmm. it's really dry, but um, I, I really believe that there is, you know, honor in work. And which of is kind course. of yeah. and cheesy, but I do, I believe it. I feel, I feel like even the most dry actuary at my company has a story to tell, you know? Yeah. And so I don't Plus, know, I just- you get- with a job, you get feedback, whether it's a paycheck or, right. you know, a good job today, or this looks great that you never get in the middle of a novel. I mean, you yeah. just don't, you don't get it. I mean, you maybe you get it a little from a critique partner, but it comes with all this. Well, do they really know, you know, there's so much doubt in that process. So I do feel like that is invaluable. That amount of I, sort yeah. of confidence. I'm good at this. I can do this. I can be rewarded for this. And then if this other thing doesn't work out, Right? right, or if it takes right. if it takes a bunch of years for it to work out, right. then that's okay because I have right. this thing. But you know, on that point, you have you know you have three kids. I mean, you have three mm -hmm. grown daughters. They're grown ups, but still, like you know, how in the world have you balanced this? You know, all of these pieces of your life because that's a real challenge. Yeah, no, it is. It is, and and the thing about writing, and it's, even when you're a published novelist, just to make a point. I am rejected in some way every day. There is something that I am not getting, whether it's um, more money, whether it's a review in a certain publication, 
um, a fellowship. Uh, um, you know, there's some way that there is someone always more talented that, you know, uh, better sold, better marketed, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Absolutely. And, you know, so it's been trying to find peace too over the course of 25 years to say, okay, well, this is what I'm good at. This is the kind of book I write and, and, and to be okay with it. You know, mm -hmm. I think for me, the way that I'm, I've been able to balance everything is that I started writing very young. And so I started developing habits really young. Like I understand how I approach novels. I've learned shortcuts, I, you know, but um, I also started, uh, so I started working and writing very early, but I didn't come to family life until I was in my late thirties. Um, so when I met my now husband, I was like 37 and he came with two kids. So that, mm -hmm. you know, that was already like instant family. And then um, we had another daughter. And so she's 20 now, or she'll be 20 next week. But um, happy birthday. It, yes, right, Molly. Um, but it, it was, you know, in the beginning, it was like a tidal wave with kids. Yes. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, it was. Uh, I never experienced anything like right. the lack of sleep. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. And then three girls. So there's always drama, like someone is, and someone's always left out. And, and yeah. I also have two sisters. So I know yeah. about all the girls, but um, I, the, the good thing is that having already, like I sold my first book when I was 33, but I started writing it, you know, when I was 27 or mm -hmm. so. And so I had 10 years of good writing habits before. Mm -hmm. So I don't write every day. And I, you know, I take notes a lot, um, but I do, you know, when I'm scheduled in to write, whether, cause I stopped after I did sell my first book, I did go down to four days a week. Okay. So I always had a day. So that is, Great. You know, yeah. okay. So let's just put it out there. I'm not working five days, uh, you know, unless it's busy season and then I work five days. But then, um, so when I'm scheduled to work, I will sit down and work, you know? Even if I don't feel like it, I'll mm -hmm. push myself. Even if it's only for 20 minutes, because I always feel better at, you know, as I'm writing, it's just getting started. Right, right. You know? And you it's like exercise. It is, right. You yeah. just gotta, I, and you're not always gonna find the muse, but you've mm -hmm. got to acknowledge that this is the writing time and over the years, remember, I have been doing, you know, working for 30 years, maybe, you know, and I've been writing for just as long. And I've tra trained myself to go back and forth between what kind of how deep a dive I have to be, um, like how granular I have to get. So for instance, I always try early on in a project to get the architecture, to get the structure down. Because it's hard to see an overarching structure when you're doing an hour at a time or right. when I'm on my lunch hour or when I'm stealing time, you know, it, when, when the kids, after they went to bed, I'd be, you know, and it, so, it, you know, you're, once I have the structure down and the characters start to talk, that is my in because dialogue is my, um, it's one of my uh, skills. I'm not mm -hmm. as good at all with landscape like I will never ever describe the forest 
there's trees, it's brown and green, and that's about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, right, let the reader fill that in. Yes. Right, but I mean, I read books a lot about describing the ocean and the, yeah. the you know, the landscape, and I'm very, very, I admire it very much, but I'm never going to do it, right? So um, once characters start talking, and the deeper I get in to know them, then the story starts to emerge, and that's really it, where I don't come to the story knowing it, it is revealed to me. And that's why my first drafts take so long, you know? Right. And, and so do you, you find that during, you know, like you said, you sort of steal, you might steal an hour during a, a work, you know, your lunchtime or at night. So, if, you know, if you think about, if I imagine writing sort of one, like having one dedicated work day a week, I, you know, how do you maintain that thread? You know, I, I mean, how do you sort of, it's like it's like talking to a friend once a week right it, you lose right. track of all the things happening until you talk to them again so you know what's your sort of because I think there's a lot of people you know and I my first four books were written while I was working full-time I had uh well my my daughter was born when um she's 20 almost 23 and she was eight mm -hmm. months old when my first book came out so you know I've always I've done sort of something similar although I would say that I couldn't manage it so I had to quit <laughs> but um <laughs> <laughs> you know, how do you sort of keep that thread going over the court of the, the periods when you're, you know, the days when you're not working on the book? Well, when I was younger, I couldn't, I mean, it was hard. Like I would have mm -hmm. to go in Thursday nights and, you know, really reacquaint myself. And mm -hmm. then Friday, a lot of time would be spent catching up. But mm -hmm. then I started training myself to, you know, look at, look at it every few days then start, you know, do an hour a day or every other day, whatever it took to get deeper into the story. And then after a period of time, it, when it really is, it grips me, there's no, I will do it anywhere, anytime. Yes. I mean, I have plugged my computer into the one outlet in ICANN Stadium in the Bronx when my daughter was like <laughs> running track. Right. And, you know, they, there's so much downtime between the events. Right. I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to, I'll wait for until your event. I'm just going to sit up there. I'd sit on the floor and I would work. Right. I'd work in the front seat of a car. I'd work in the back seat of, a car. I would work anywhere. And um, that's when it's really gripping me, you know? Right. That's when right. I'm like, and that's when I have to get it right. That's when it's like, okay, I, what, I've got to get this right. I've got to get this right. And it becomes all consuming. And the other thing I did is I never, I mean, I, I'm fairly senior at my job, but not, you know, I, I should be running a department or, you know, or mm -hmm. much higher up, but I mm -hmm. don't take, a, I, I keep myself at a certain, I can earn money and I feel good about my job. I'm not um, so high up that I have people reporting to me. Mm -hmm. I've always, you know, so kept yourself so that you I've didn't always have to... kept myself mm -hmm. at a certain level so that my responsibilities were, um, they were, I could, they were manageable. I mean, yeah. I go through this, oh my God, every couple of years, I'm like, should I go for vice president? Okay. Should I run that race? Should I do that? And mm -hmm. then, you know, it's like, then I'll get in the grips of a book and I'm like, no, no, no. And then the book will come out and there's always a sorrowful kind of aftermath, right? Right. Right. Like, postpartum depression. Postpartum. I need to go. <laughs> I'm going to be a vice president. I'm yeah. going to do it. Yeah. But, you know. So. Well, it's I think that's really, that's actually a lesson that I think 
most of us aren't accustomed to, which is the idea that you're protecting that part, you know, that time, which nobody's clamoring for, nobody's at the computer going, what about me, the book, the book, you know, but you are saying like, if I had to take my job home with me, if I was in charge of people, if I was going to be on call all the time, if I was going to be CEO, then that that doesn't allow that space that you need right. for your writing. And I think that's really valuable because that is so un-American. <laughs> we are not we are not used to right. you know saying no, I don't want to be at the top. And I think it's so smart. I think yeah. it's so smart. Well, I was also lucky, and I'm going to say this that you know I was lucky because when I for my first book came out, I was 33. And so I was writing a novel and not haikus or short stories, right? Right. I was um, writing funny and sad at the same time, which wasn't really a big thing back then. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to be funny or sad and, and you know, kind of co combining them in 1997. I don't know, what is this supposed to be? Mm -hmm. um, I was female. And, you know, uh, there was a market for, mm -hmm. I was writing in first person. So there was a market for quote unquote, authentic, honest female voices. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm white and, at the t you know, no, but I mean, come on, it's, <laughs> right. a, it's a privilege. It's a, and I oh, absolutely. That, absolutely. Right? Yes. So there were things that I got lucky and then yeah. I, I learned how to exploit that luck. Yeah. Like for instance, after my first novel came out, I was inundated with requests for a young adult book of the, mm. with the same character. And I'm like, okay, no, she exists in this book. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, or um, movie scripts, movie, like write, write the movie. And I mean, this was before the YA market exploded. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So yeah. I, maybe I could have made more money, but my feeling was always like, I just spent, five or six years with these people. I am mm -hmm. so done. Like, yes. I don't want to talk about them anymore. I don't want, like, I need to move on. Yes. And that even happened with this book where my agent's like, do you want to be involved in the film? You know, executive editor, whatever, executive producer. And I'm like, oh God, no. You, you know, the I'm done. I'm like already, I've moved on a year and a half ago, right? Yeah, yes, yes. So, well, that's, so, I mean, again, knowing yourself, you know yourself really well. Right. Um, well, I sort of went back and forth and back and forth, but then at the end, I am at a point where, yes, I know what I can tolerate and what I can't, and I just had to move on. So I think being able to develop habits and sticking to them, it helped that I got lucky early on and that my first book came out. And I think also because my books were for me as opposed to to four readers during that long, hard stretch of 10 years of rejection and rejection mm. and rejection and no sales and big flops. And it, I had a place to go to yeah. express all this. And yeah. I just happened to write novels about, right. you know, but right. um, I think that there has to be a part of me. And I think a part of a lot of people who want to create art that you have to believe you can do it. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't know, you have to believe that it's worth the attempt, you know? Absolutely. And it's a lot of work. You have to be willing to, you know, to sit at 
wherever, you know, even if you're in the stadium plugged into the one outlet, you have to be able to say, I'm, I'm, this is, I ha- I'm doing this because I have to do it. You know, I want right. to do it. It's worth right. it. And to not do it would leave me feeling even worse. Oh, right? it does. I took yeah. a year off writing. Um, I, I told the same, same thing. I, you know, rejection, rejection, burned out and took a year off writing. And at the end of that year, I, I sort of the negative energy that was, I sort of vibrated with it. And it took it, right. it took me all that time <laughs> to realize, oh shit, I need to be writing. This is the only yeah. thing. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I will wonder, um, and I hope this is true that once now that people have, have, you know, discovered when we were bright and beautiful that you get that some of those, old, you know, the, the big flop, which, you know, again, right. I'm using your words because um, it gets some attention because I do find that sometimes we, it takes, whatever miracle happens for the stars to align and for somebody to get the attention that they deserve for us to be able to go back and look at those, you know, their earlier works and find them, um, you know, hit the light again. So that, I hope that's happening. It is, it is. And, and when people email me, cause I, I, as you know, in the polarization, there is some really beautiful notes that I get sure. from psychiatrists and survivors and mothers of survivors and I never understood it from this perspective and you said all the hard words and and um so I you know they're like oh I I can't wait to read more of your books and I'm like oh well go to my website pick one out and I'll send it to you because I have like especially of the (laughs) flop like I've got you know 150,000 copies of it I'm happy to you know so and you know but it's so interesting because um my first novel uh is about eating disorders right and maybe it's about a family I mean I write family dramas Mm -hmm. and and when this book came out I was like talking to my editor and I'm like what about a legal thriller? She's like, no, it's a family drama. I'm like, what about a crime thriller? And she's like, no, it's a family drama. I said, a psychological thriller. She's like, no. <laughs> but you know, even when people call it a thriller, it's like it's not a thriller. It's it, I guess it, there's elements of psychological thriller, but it's for like, sure. And she was so right though, because people are like, oh you know, this starts out slow or, and it's like, because it's a family drama. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, but um, I forgot what I was talking about, but w- whatever. It was uh, just oh, attention to your own. Yeah, yeah, just attention so, to, your, to your earlier so. works, which is, I think that's another thing that is wonderful about being a writer with a long career um, is that you never know what's going to happen with the next book, right? You yeah. never know what, you know, where you might, it could be book, you know, 27. But I think if you continue to create, then one book might get, you know, attention and then, People will, you know, some people will go back and discover earlier works, which I think is, is really fun. Although I sort of cringe, right? Like I'm like, oh I God, know. you read That's that like book? my third grade, like a third grade story. Oh my totally, God. Totally, totally. But, you know, at the, at the moment, it was the best I could do at that time. And that makes me proud of it, right? Exactly. Like my first and you book, get I know better. what I was saying. Yes, yes. Of course you get better unless you're writing the same book, Right. And, and that's okay too. I mean, I don't, right. I don't judge anybody for what they do. It's just, that's not my thing. Um, but in my first book, the narrator is very snarky and kind of bitchy, middle-class family and people just like can't stand her. And, and it's like the whole point of the book is that she's depressed. 
she's a right. depressed person right right and um so I, it's it's so interesting to me just the um like we like funny people when they're snarky and you know franny in the main in the first book is very snarky but she's also you know she's kind of a bitchy little 23 year old girl mm -hmm. and it's like you know i don't like to see myself you know right <laughs> Well, and I think actually an unlikable women characters have not, were not a thing uh, until kind of recently. And all of a sudden there's yeah. this emergence of where, like where maybe, you know, we're growing in that we're letting women be truer and right. some women are not likable and that's okay. Right. And <laughs> right. often they're not likable because they're in pain, right? Right, right, so, absolutely. But it was like, you couldn't have a woman have an affair unless she had a miscarriage or unless you know <laughs> right, what i mean like, right. what, what, like it, unless she or there was you know a, a child that that died or something right. you know what i mean otherwise how do you justify having an affair your husband's so nice like you know exactly so, god isn't that true i love yeah. that truth that yeah. is so, so i, I yeah. do think we have evolved but i also you know um i i think that we have a little bit more to, to do you think, think? Just, <laughs> yes, think so. just a little bit more to give give some women a little more space to sort of you know tell their truths. Yeah. well i do i did think and actually you know what we didn't really talk about the mother um character um you know and i think she is also so fascinating and i you know um there's a little of my mother in her that sort of a, you know a little bit emotionally distant and sort mm -hmm. of the 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 difficulty of being a young girl with a mother who doesn't, you know, quite know how to sort of embrace um, right. who you are and especially, emo you know, emotion. And I thought that was, it felt very authentic to me, you know, and I, my mother's going to listen to this and go and read the book and be like, what? I'm not like that mother, but it's true. She's not, not like that. She's not like that mother completely, but those little bits of, of right. you know, and I think if you, if, we, if people read these books, your book, honestly, um, and let ourselves sort of feel the discomfort, they will recognize themselves in these characters because there's nothing right. about any of the characters that isn't very human. Right. You know, oh, no matter. You. Thank you. That's uh, very flattering. Thank you. It's, so, I, I do feel that, that there is a lot of reaction to the fact that there's a certain feeling of complicitness, right? Mm -hmm. And and people can't tolerate it. And and mm -hmm. that's okay. I understand that. But I also feel like the one thing that has characterized every single book I've ever written is that I will go there. Like I will yeah. take you After to you. that yeah. very difficult place. Yeah. In my in fact, my last um my third book, the big, the big sale, big sales. Yeah. Um, the story was about a stepmother who there's a freak accident at the beach and she has to decide which she's going to save either her um, biological daughter or her stepdaughter. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the, the editor that bought it said, you know, you went there like you, you didn't have, a, you know, a boat come along and you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you took us to that place mm -hmm. and um it's largely because I go to that place myself. Like I, mm -hmm. like, you know, like these are honest questions that I'm sort of like, well, what would happen if? And I think that right. makes good literature. You know, it that does. makes a good read. But it makes us uncomfortable. 
Right. It makes all, sense. We've all had that thought, but I think that's, I think that's a really val, it's a really valuable exercise. And I think if we're honest, it's, we're all right there with that mom. We all know right. instinctively, even though we don't want to say it out loud, what we would do. Right. You know, and that's, that's the sort of ugly, you know, ugly, scary truth. But I, I do, I, and I, and I think the complicity argument is interesting because if you think, if you talk to victims or read it, read the, you know, the accounts from victims, they they feel complicit. It's, you know, it's, and so it's not, un, it's not unauthentic to explore that, right? We, that is what people are going through. Now we're trying to work through it and we're trying to get women to realize you know, you're not responsible for what happened right. to you. Um, although the messages are very mixed out in the world, right? right. So I think. I so think that's we, what I thought yeah. was the most compelling, um, the most compelling thing about my book in a way to me was there's a spectrum of it's I, I'm responsible. And so, you know, on one end there's, I shouldn't have worn that skirt. I shouldn't have gone out right. that night, I right. shouldn't, you know, and then on the other, then, then it gets really to the point where you, your whole reality fractures. Right. 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 Where, and I can honestly say, you know, that I have gone through that. I understand what it's like to not even be sure what happened and right. then fill it in with my own, um, with my own hopes and feelings and, and whatever to, to say that this is what I'm going to do. This is how I protect myself. Right. How we protect all of ourselves. Right. It's to create an alternate reality in some ways. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that is one of the things that I was very, very clear about that I'm not going to shirk from that. Like, I'm yeah. going to go there too, because that's what happens, whether we tell ourselves we should have behaved differently, or we create a whole alternative way of understanding it. Right. And the way that we, you know, the way that we put women, you know, on the stand, literally and figuratively, you know, or metaphorically through the, the process of, you know, all of those things are true. I mean, and fair, I mean, not fair, you know, true and real. And I think it's important to explore that. How as women do we learn to sort of, re, you know, change the way we respond to our own experiences, to other experiences? How do we learn the right language to support victims if we don't look at sort of the ugly you know, reality of what happens inside their brains and in the media and in other people's minds and everything. And it happens today, you know, oh, you know, you shouldn't have that, you know, I shouldn't have, you should, well, you are, wore that skirt. You were obviously right. asking for it. And what happens to the women, which I think is another truth is, you know, especially since the, the woman who accuses, you know, Billy is, it was, it has been his girlfriend for a long time. So it's also like some, if some part of you wanted to kiss that man, does that make you responsible for whatever happened afterwards? Right. Um, I, it's, it's just, it's layered and layered and layered and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Well, so, okay, before we, you know, I'm sure you have a million things. I could talk to you all day. Uh, me too. Uh, no, let's just do that. <laughs> I just, so, I get lunch. Exactly. Exactly. So tell, can you tell us a little bit about the committee? Cause I'm, um, I, that's oh, yeah. the project you're working on. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's actually, I, I have 10 pages and I'm doing something I've never done before, or I haven't done since grad school. I am, I have two writer friends and we have a little writing group and I've never, I haven't really done this before, but it has been so amazing because I can't, I, I started 
the idea I got for the, the committee, like, I don't know, a year and a half ago. And um, so I, I also, I, I just got gripped by it. So in, this is a true thing. In 1960, the 1960s, the first um, dialysis machines became available. And um, they were, you know, it's kind of portable dialysis, but not really. So if you wanted to get, if you needed dialysis, if you're having kidney failure, you had to go to this hospital in Seattle. And the, they only had room for like 11 patients over two years or something like that. So they had this, um, they had a committee that decided which of the patients would get the life-sustaining dialysis, mm -hmm. but the committee was of lay people. So it was, and, and, and it, it, there was a housewife, a doctor, uh, not a nephrologist, but a, just another doctor, um, a pastor, um, a municipal worker, and a lawyer. And these eight people came together every week. And, and this is a true thing. And, and it, there was an article in Life Magazine that came out about it. And the pastor has since spoken about it, but no, their identities were never revealed. They, they were never, they never talked about it publicly. And I was just really fascinated by that because you just feel intuitively that it was um, all men, except for the housewife. It was all white. It was um, mm. like the decisions they made, they thought that they were really trying to figure out um, what's the value of the patient to society? What, you know, how do you determine that? And so I said, oh my God, I'm going to breathe life into this committee. I'm going to like, now I'm looking back at it with a 2022 lens. Right. But, and I'm going to pick from it what I want to do, but I'm really fascinated by this. Right. What, a, I mean, just, just the weight of that situation without you even infusing any of your breath into it is like, Oh my God. Right. What so. an impossible job. And, you know, and of course, you know, when we talk about, you know, how our views of race and gender and a, a lot of other things and value, value, like what is value? That is, yeah, that is, sounds amazing. So I love that. Well, oh, we, you know, we'll be ready to read that the moment it hits the shelves, but um, yeah, I'd say about, I don't know, seven years. <laughs> We'll wait. It'll I'll be, be worth the wait. Exactly. Well, I love that. Well, I have. I have to say, um, if you if you haven't read um, when we were bright and beautiful, it, it's a must read. I I, oh, I picked it for you. its beautiful cover. If you haven't seen, this is how. This is my like completely ridiculous way of choosing books from because I from book of the month. I'm always like, oh, that's a beautiful cover. I'll try that one. Um, and I hadn't <laughs> heard of it because. My, you know, my, especially for this, the Killer Women podcast, my view is point is really narrow. I took, because there's a million books. And if I, you know, if I talk to people um, who are not writing thrillers, I'd, I'd never get anything oh, done other than totally. read and, um, but it has, it, there's thriller aspects of this. So yeah. it fits in very nicely. And I had, I had to talk to you because I do, I love how honest you are. And I'm, oh, okay. I'm not, not, I'm not sure I'm brave enough, Jillian, but I really appreciate that you, um, that you are. And if you have, if listeners haven't read it, it is really phenomenal. And I bet it would be incredible as an audiobook too. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. imagine whoever and Marin read it. Ireland did it. Mm. And she's just, she does all the voice. I mean, she's 
amazing. But you know, it's funny. I can only listen to, I couldn't really listen to it. Can you listen to your own audio book? No, God, um, no. Only to choose yeah. a voice. And then I'm like, oh, I hate all the words. Um, I know, me no. too. Stop talking, but, stop talking, stop talking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, wait, I want to I edit that word. I want to edit that. Um, well, anyway, it was fabulous to talk to you, Julian. And oh, I'm you a Thank you huge so fan. I can't wait to go back now and and read all the um, the big reviews and the big flops and the big okay. first deals. So thank you. Um, thank you for being here. Thank you Everybody. so much for having me. This was so, I mean, it just flew by. I know, I know. I really, Jillian and I <laughs> you could are talk. Just we, amazing. I know oh, you you're really so are. Sweet. Oh, I no, love I'm not it. being sweet. I just think that you are, you understand the process and you try to, you know, suss out how all the different writers approach the process, which is infinitely different depending on who yes, you talk to. It is. And you're also really, really genuinely um, a, a book fan. And and you're just, I don't know, you're just really wonderful to talk to. You made That's, it so easy. Thank you. Well, you know, I have to say, this has been such a uh, passion project for me. You know, the pandemic and being alone and all that stuff. And, you know, I just realized I love books. I do. In fact, I really love writing and I'm super happy to be a writer, but I, it's a toss up as to whether or not I love to read more than I love to write. And I also love women. I'm 50, I'm 50, almost 52. And the older I get, and I, you know, this is not a male bashing moment because I have a son and a husband and they're fabulous. But I, the older I get, the more interested I am in the way women see the world, the way we process things, the way we were told to be when we were younger, especially yes. those of us, you know, in this generation, to be small, to be quiet, you know, to, to be right. nice to everybody, you know, to, um, to put other people's feelings ahead of your own. That was a big one for me. I'm 59. And that, oh my God, I still think about that, you know, I know. And it's, and these lessons came largely from, I imagine our mothers, right? Which oh yeah. Right. It's so you know, broken and backwards for them too. So, but we get to raise our daughters differently and I really appreciate yes. it. And thank you for the kudos because I do you. love this and I, um, I'm looking forward to many, many more and I'll be around in seven years when okay, the next great. one is well, ready for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank so you everybody, so much. thank you for joining us today on Killer Women Podcast with Jillian Medoff. Go get When We Were Bright and Beautiful. And it sounds like you've got four more books um, we can read. Okay. So until next time, bye. Yes. Bye.